Well, we are on our third part of the series that we're doing on the seven deadly sins. And uh, if you've been tracking along with us, we've covered a couple of things that um, perhaps uh, you may or may not be dealing with on your journey with the Lord. Uh, but chances are one of the seven is, uh, is an area of struggle uh, that you may have in your, in your life as you try to bring the Lord close. And sometimes there's just a, a gap between where we're at and where he wants us to be. And there are numerous teachings in scripture that help us with these areas that are pretty common for uh, just uh, the, the scope of humanity from the beginning to the end of our time here on earth. And today's uh, message is probably no exception for us as we think about uh, the role that, um, of all things, anger plays uh, in our hearts and, and, and in our walk with, with, uh, with the Lord and, and our relationship with other people. Um, I don't know if that's something that um, is uh, a reoccurring struggle for you, but if it is, maybe what we have to share today uh, will help you. Uh, if you can see the screen, um, I've tried to make a contrast between what it means to have a pace driven by anger and um, a gentle stride following the Lord and his ways. And I think that as Jesus responded to these basic issues that we have, he, give, he gave us some pretty good instruction on the Sermon on the Mount that I think uh, is, is very helpful for us to kind of get our bearings. So the first thing I want to do is just show a couple of, um, uh, of slides on anger. And the first one is, have you ever been so upset about something that you could be that guy pushing the train? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I suspect in looking at our group, you know, that looks like John Panzot right there. No, I don't, I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. But John's actually pretty happy. He scored a hole-in-one. Not bragging, but he, he did a hole-in-one on Wednesday. Uh, so if you're a golfer, you know the significance of that. If you're not, uh, John will tell you what the significance of that is after our worship service. It's expensive. Okay, we won't go into details about that right now, but uh, perhaps later on. Um, but maybe something has so incensed you that all the adrenaline uh, in your body just begins to, to, to flow into uh, energy that's, that's looking for an outlet. And I don't know what this guy is so upset about, but he's angry enough to tackle a train. Now, maybe uh, you get that angry, maybe you don't, uh, but perhaps you're more like this. Um, if you look at this cat, um, his is a little bit more calculating uh, in that when he gets angry, it means it's just but one letter short of danger. So um, it could be that too. And God understands the power of anger in our own lives, he designed us to, to have that capability of being angry. But the problem is, given the fact that we live in a sinful world, uh, we have uh, things in our own lives that aren't what they need to be uh, by God's standard. Um, and so we have to figure out how, from the biblical standpoint, we deal with this. And um, looking for my, my water here... Uh, 
I've been taking um, uh, antihistamines, and it just keeps drying me out. I don't know if anybody has that, that issue or not, but that's why I've always got the water up here. So I apologize for the disruption. Now, being a father, I, I've had plenty of opportunities to express anger uh, to my children, mainly because their, their view of the world, their priorities, things that are important at their particular place and stage in life, for some reason, occasionally run cross-purpose uh, with things that I think they ought to be doing. And what I'd like to do is just um, talk a little bit about uh, that through um, a, 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 basically a Father's Day uh, video that I want to show. And then I want to comment a little bit on, on, on how we can respond to things in two very different ways and how God provides a third way. So let's show that real quickly. you stay out. Stay out as late as you want. You want to borrow the new car? You want to borrow my credit card? Kids today, they really have it rough. I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I mean, when I was their age, life was easy. Super easy. Why haven't you gotten a tattoo yet? How come you don't have any piercings yet? Yep, we're lost. We are completely lost. Ew, sports. Just do whatever the mechanic says to do. Vehicle maintenance is completely overrated. Look, whatever the mechanic is asking, just pay him. Pay him whatever he wants. I wish they had soap operas at night. I like that boy. You should date him. You should date him immediately. Well, what about the creepy guy with the motorcycle? He's cute. Yeah, sure. Spring break in Tahiti sounds fun. Hey, make sure you get all your video games done before you start your homework. You don't have to pass all your classes. What? You have a project due tomorrow, and you've known about it for four weeks, and you haven't started yet? Sweet! Doesn't anybody want to know if we're there yet? Remember, if you need anything between midnight and 4 a.m., please come wake me up. Hey, I'm on the phone. Could you bring the baby over and let him climb all over me? Hey! Hey! Can you please turn that music up? Well, we just stopped for lunch 10 minutes ago, but yeah, let's stop again. I never have trouble with my toddler. I never have trouble with my teenagers. I never have trouble with my adult children. You know, she's right. We are ruining her life. Yes, more homework to correct. All right, whining. Yay, tantrums. Mmm, vomit. We just really need to spoil these kids more. Sorry, buddy. I don't know any good jokes at all. You're 16. You pretty much know everything now. I think 18 is a great age to get married. Okay, remember, make sure you turn on all the lights before you leave the house. Hey, could you leave the front door open for a couple hours? Thanks. Whoa! Money really does grow on trees. Well, that's just our way of, of uh, sliding in a happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, and also illustrating a little bit uh, maybe the things that go through a father's mind that's pretty consistent across the board. And uh, any dads relate to it? Was there one that a dad in here could not relate to? <laughs> I know I've probably said all those things at one point or another. If I've said it, you know, ten times, I've said it a hundred. 
And as um, I'm looking at that video, I'm thinking, now, is that what it means when the scripture says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth? Is that dad just being meek and saying, whatever, whatever you want to do, it's fine with me, it's great. Let's just celebrate anything that might potentially have the consequence of chaos. I'm, I'm just going to be gentle about the whole thing. Perhaps that kind of passiveness towards uh, things that might be upsetting is one approach towards uh, how you manage your anger. Um, but I'd like to look at some scriptures today and just uh, think about that through, uh, through the lens of, uh, of some things that God's given us to process our anger through. And the first one I want to look at is from Ephesians. And it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And one thing that this assumes is that if you are a Christian, you're going to get angry. There's no question about that. The issue is how you responsibly interact with that emotion and uh, that, um, that turmoil that's been created in your, in your heart and your soul. And as uh, Paul writes about it, he understands it all too well. He said, don't let the sun go down on your ang- anger. Uh, but even prior to that, he puts in another sort of safeguard by saying, don't sin. Uh, so if you've ever had a conflict with someone that you love dearly, namely your spouse, you know that these two things can very easily uh, become an issue on the table that wasn't really originally part of the equation. And as Paul addresses it, it's just a very wise saying that instructs us for the road. But as um, the psalmist reflects on it, he goes right to the person of God himself. And he says, this is sort of how God looks at things that are troubling for him. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So God is looking at things with a, probably a longer view than, than, than you and I do. And he's trying to redeem the situation. And he's looking at the gap between the way things are and the way things need to be. And the tension that that creates in his heart uh, does get him a little bit incensed. But the desire to not overwhelm the people that are creating the tension begins to create and produce patience and gentleness through mercy. And as a father, probably the best way that I've come to understand God is by just thinking, now all the experiences that I've had as a dad, how does that parallel with the experiences that God has had with me? Because I think as I'm looking at my kids and I'm seeing their behavior and I'm recognizing things that really are a gap between where they are and where they need to be, I, I, I just think, yeah, God, you must be like that with me a lot of times. And I'm grateful that even though occasionally I feel angry and I just want to sort of lash out and say, you know, why can't you close that gap? I'm grateful that you take time to help me to process what's going on rather than react and perhaps distance yourself from me in a way that says, I I no longer want you in my world. And God is very patient with us. And 
he's the first place that we need to go to when we try to understand uh, the mess that we get into uh, with anger. Now, uh, when Jesus came and he spoke uh, to um, <clears throat> the crowds in the first year of his uh, ministry, uh, people have said that there was a sermon that he gave repeatedly. Uh, one version of it is a Sermon on the Mount uh, from um, Matthew's Gospel. Another is the Sermon on the Plain, which I think uh, comes up in, in, in Luke. And as those sermons are given, they're just basically the same sermon given in different environments with a little bit of tweaking. And as Jesus gave this information, he was trying to basically summarize what it means to be a follower of God. Because on so many levels, people, even religious leaders especially, had gotten it so wrong. And he wanted to set the record straight. And going to the heart of the matter... He realized that um, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in, in the delivery of this message, he gave a series of blessings, which is such a foundational biblical term. And he said that blessed are the meek. And I put in parentheses, uh, or brackets rather, um, gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And as Jesus was saying this, he was trying to help people to wrap their minds around the fact that there are a lot of reasons to be agitated as a Jewish citizen in Palestine at that time. Uh, they were being occupied by Romans who were not very nice or gentle, who were pretty violent from time to time, and at, at best just always oppressive. And it would be very easy in that cauldron of tension to pelt stones at uh, people or throw, throw stones at people that were uh, your oppressors to act in violent ways to retaliate and Jesus said don't do that. God's got a longer game here in mind and I want you to be a part of it. And maybe he's telling us when we get incensed about things to just take a deep breath and begin to ask God for his wisdom and guidance on our response. And Jesus said, be gentle. And the gentle people, they're going to inherit the earth. And as we, um, as we continue on our train of thought, Jesus gave these directives, but after he died and he rose again and, and, and the Holy Spirit came to the church... He enabled us with abilities that we didn't have prior to that by allowing his spirit to come alive in us and bear as um, a result of his presence fruit. And one of the fruits of the spirit uh, is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. One of the things that Paul describes as a fruit of the spirit is gentleness. And I'd probably say that as a believer, one of the reasons why I've been able to hold my tongue, why I've been able to restrain uh, the anger that escalates is because um, God's Spirit is in there working in my heart, my mind, and giving me um, basically power and instruction on how I should respond. And I don't find myself... Uh, doing things that, in the end, I regret deeply. 
Now we're doing basically a metaphor in our uh, in our message by thinking about hikers on a hike, going on a journey, and God coming alongside those hikers, which would be us, and helping us to go the distance. And some of the weight that we carry uh, is in the form of the seven deadly sins uh, that we've been referring to. And the more you're weighted down with these sins, the, the more difficult it is uh, for us to uh, go, go that distance with the Lord. And so there are always things that uh, we need to get rid of, and there are things that we need to include. Uh, many of you uh, are aware that my son Christian is right now going on a trek through 27 national parks. And he had the, he had the, he had the good fortune of being in the Grand Canyon the last couple of days. And I don't know if you followed the heat map or not, but uh, he called yesterday and said it was 119 where he, he's at. Uh, so he's baking. And so his mom and I are thinking, all right, how do we help him? You know, but on the other, other hand, you know, part of being a parent is once you have your kid, your whole job is to, is to begin the process of letting go, equipping them so that they can solve problems on their own and thrive in life on their own. And uh, so I, I haven't, haven't really called him or texted him or anything to try to, you know, interfere. Uh, but his mom did send him a text. It's like, um, hey, how's it going? I hear you're baking in the oven out there. Make sure that you stay hydrated and keep your core cool. Uh, so mom advice uh, that um, hopefully will help him to go the distance on his little trek. Uh, but one of the things that he said was uh, there's almost um, a contest amongst hikers on who can have the smallest amount of stuff in their backpack. And so they weigh these, I mean, they, they reduce the, sta- the, the weight down to like ounces. And you know, if you, if you only have like, let's say 18 pounds, you're really doing good. If you've reduced it down to 12, you are like a 1% athlete hiker. And so you can see how something like that becomes uh, a thing to aspire to for seasoned um, uh, trekkers that are, are looking at uh, the awesome hikes that we have in the United States and around. And God is saying, what is it that you need to reduce? And perhaps the anger that uh, you're carrying along the way is being counterproductive in the process. And I wanted to ask my son... Now, I remember reading a little essay in eighth grade called August Heat. And I don't know if you have any English teachers in here, but it described a murder that happened in a short story because they just got too hot and tempers began to flare. And then pretty soon, as a result of the influence of that heat, somebody's life was taken. And I wanted to ask Christian, uh, I said, how... And I'm probably going to ask him, how was your anger when it got so hot? But maybe it's just so hot, it's like, Dad, we're just too hot to even be angry. Um, uh, So the thing is, um, circumstances do play a role in escalating its effects. Let's turn to the message outline real quick. Um, And as we do, I just want to make a few observations. First of all, 
as you all are probably well aware of, anger is a powerful force that can easily get out of control. And there may be some of us in the room who have a little distance between ourselves and our children or people that we love because they did something that upset us and we lashed out with words that really created an alienating moment in the relationship. And you're spending years just trying to recover that. And I've heard my share of stories as a pastor of people saying something to their kids in the heat of the moment. And their kid taking it to heart. And things just never quite be being the same subsequently. As, um, as you see that powerful effect and its force, uh, let's, just, let's just explore it a little bit. Um, and, and that is we need to be aware of its power and limits as we seek to go the distance with God. So here we're moving on to um, uh, some things that uh, we, can, um, we, can, we can use as travel tips for anger management. Um, and, and, and this is what we have in, in the following. There, there are basically two approaches. The first one is when anger manages me, I get angry too easy. Perhaps uh, something doesn't go your way and you get frustrated and then words begin to flow. And maybe the words that begin to flow aren't the words that you use in a worship service. Maybe the words of irritability that happen so quickly are just an indicator that something in your heart isn't quite where it needs to be. I know as a, as a believer that you can have a hair trigger response to anger, but the Holy Spirit enables you to kind of keep that in check. And I know that if you drift away from the Lord, that hair trigger becomes a harder and harder thing to manage. And I also realize that there are some of us who just naturally, because of the way our biochemical makeup uh, has been uh, sorted out, we just can't help ourselves. And I, I just want to go into this a little bit. In, did you know that inside the middle of your brain is something called the amygdala? And the amygdala is, uh, is, 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 is an emotional center that absorbs all of the blood that it possibly can so that it can just begin to process in a way that overpowers the rest of our thinking. And as it does that, we begin to do things that we never imagined we would do. And God has actually designed us with a a, a regulating mechanism in the front part of our brain that when the blood begins to flow to the amygdala, it also goes to that regulating mechanism uh, in the front part of our brain to balance it out so that you can keep in your anger control of yourself. You can literally tell yourself, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm angry, I'm self-aware about it, and I'm going to, and I'm going to stay in control. Now they've discovered that some people have a malfunction in that process. That the amygdala, um, when it begins to get very excited, 
does not have a corresponding counterbalance effect with this other part of your brain. And as a result, the person is constantly getting, uh, their anger escalates uh, on a pretty consistent basis to the point where, 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 where they're out of control. And there are medical issues and reasons that um, are behind that that overlap with spiritual reasons. Um, and that's why, you know, there are times when the medical community uh, is a good source for help. And there are times when we need to ask God for help in, in managing this in a way that pleases him and, his, uh, and, and as we trust him and his spirit to help us. Uh, God, through all these things, helps us to get the upper hand. So I don't know where you're at on the continuum. I'm one of those people that I'm probably... My, my amygdala must not be really strong because I don't get, I don't get angry very easily. And usually when I do, um, it's, it's about seeing something happen to other people. Uh, and that really upsets me if I see something unjust happen to somebody repeatedly. And, um, and, and then, and then I, I find myself starting to escalate a little bit in that way. And I'm thinking, you know, how can I help them find vindication or how can I help them uh, through this to be supported and on the other extreme it could be that yeah pastor every day I get up and I just struggle with this and it could be a little information about how your body functions relative to just uh, everyone else it could be that you've got a, a medical condition and then there's the rest of us that may be somewhere in between. But I believe that if we allow ourselves to get in a state where we're easily irritated, where when somebody says something that doesn't quite square with us, we fire back a bunch of hateful words, profane words even, if that's within your vocabulary, and then we find ourselves just not really in a good place with the people around us that we care about. Maybe in allowing anger to manage you, it goes into um, a place where something happens against me and I get angrier than I should. I remember seeing somebody in the parking lot one time. A person had opened up their car door and they just, they just bumped the other person's car just a little bit. And the other person was in the car, and the windows were rolled up, and I could tell they were upset, but the other person shut their door and they walked off. And then I saw the person slam their door into the other car, and I'm thinking, was that really warranted? And yet, that is just a very small indication of how the degree of anger that we bring to a situation that frustrates us or incenses us or we feel uh, is unjust, the response can be way beyond what, it, what, what is necessary. And in those two situations alone, whether we're easy to, easy to escalate or we escalate excessively with anger, those are things that God says you got to get control of. And the good news is God has a means to help us out with that. But let me just go one more place with this. 
Because another common response with anger is, I stay angry for way too long. Yeah, somebody created a misunderstanding, or somebody even said something that was wrong, that upset you, but every time you see them, you just seethe. And, every, and, and, and your memory, this is a funny thing, your memory of what happened becomes something that it originally wasn't. It becomes an inflated view of just how bad the infraction is. Have you ever been there? And then it just takes on a life of its own. And as that anger begins to just build and, 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 and produce all kinds of things that were certainly not warranted, when that happens, that anger becomes a facet of who you are. It becomes a cancer. It becomes what the writer of Hebrews says is a root of bitterness. And all of those things are just toxic. And they will basically limit your ability to go the distance with the Lord unless you get a hold of it. And I believe one reason why Jesus had to go there with this and say, blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are the meek. Because they will inherit the earth is he understood that it appears for the time being the Romans have inherited the earth. And they're not very nice people. And we have great justification to, to, to say all kinds of bad things against them and to retaliate accordingly. And Jesus wanted to say, no, we're going to go a different way with this. And it applies not only for them, but for you and I. So let's just imagine for a second if um, we were to just follow this to its logical con conclusion. When anger manages me, people get hurt. And unless you're a person with, um, with deep-rooted psychological issues where you enjoy seeing other people get hurt, then chances are you're like me. You don't like seeing anyone or anything getting hurt. You don't like to see people suffer. You don't like to see pain. But if the anger that you are carrying on this journey with you continues to be part of your baggage in a way that's unhealthy and counterproductive, then people will get hurt. And God says there are, there, there are ways for you to lighten the load. So let's just explore what happens whenever we manage our anger rather than it escalating to the point where it controls us. First of all, when I manage anger, God's Spirit can gently work through me. I truly believe that. And I believe it's based on the scripture that we read from Galatians 5, and 23 a minute ago. Where, uh, where Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And I can always gauge where I'm at in my heart with the Lord. If I just go through that list, um, I'll, I'll know that the fruit of the Spirit is beating alongside, or the Spirit is beating alongside my heart, and the, the fruit is coming out accordingly, and you just have to start with the list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Paul even went so far as to say, 
apart from these things, there, there really is no law because they summarize the attitude and the spirit and the heart of a person who is in tune with God. And nothing really needs to be said beyond that because everything that they do is a reflection of the presence of the Spirit and that fruit in their lives. And it's a wonderful way of just not making a list of saying, don't smoke and don't chew and don't go out with people who do. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's just not, not productive to make lists only so that we can subvert the list with things that aren't included on the list. But rather just thinking, how can I approach this in the spirit that God wants me to. So as God's spirit is at work in our lives, we can count on these things. But we can also count on uh, not only God's spirit being uh, gently at work through us, but secondly, um, I don't let things escalate beyond control. As I mentioned earlier, primarily because we are, we are showing the self-control that is listed in the fruit of the spirit as a way of taking ourselves and thinking about it like a balcony viewer would look at, uh, look at us down here in a sense, not picking on you guys. But sometimes you have to take a balcony view of your own life and you've got to say, what am I doing? And how am I interacting with other people? And is it really becoming? And have you ever had in your children um, behavior that you see in them that are basically behaviors that you see in yourself and you've in a twisted way have said to your children, stop that. And really you're kind of saying, man, that's too much like me. And I don't like what I'm seeing. And God is producing within us characteristics where he doesn't want us to feel that way anymore, but rather to look at ourselves and ourselves as children in his eyes as people who reflect his characteristics and his behavior. And the whole redemptive process of being gentle towards others, of connecting with others when you could get mad, is a way of broadcasting to them and to the, to the whole world there is another way. And there's an attractive way that's centered in the things of God. And God not only draws us to better ideas, but he draws us into a better way of living through his personal presence and abiding. I think that's hugely powerful. And so we don't let things escalate beyond control. You know, there are times when you probably need to take medication for something like this. But I would venture to say the, the majority of the time, it may be just something you need to settle with the Lord. You need to just humble yourself before him. And you need to say, Lord, this is going on in my heart. This is wrong, I know. And this is producing stuff in me that is making me uncomfortable with myself. And I know it needs to be dealt with. And the most powerful antidote that God has offered us to be able to manage this is a bloodstained cross that says to the whole world, everyone who calls on my name will be saved, will be delivered, will find through the sacrifice that I've made that reconciling power, that forgiving gift 
that takes away the sin and the shame and replaces it with something that is so much richer and so much better. And that's why when we go to the Lord and in candor we say, Lord, this is going on in my heart. This is something that I'm uncomfortable with. And this is something that I want to give to you and ask you to forgive me for. And did you know that the cross is so powerful that in ways that I can't fully describe, the state of your soul goes from being, uh, in, 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 having perhaps incredible turmoil to a state of perfect peace that passes all understanding. I can only say that, though I don't understand it, I understand its effect. And I understand that when God is brought into the equation in that way, it's a game changer. And so here's the third thing that I want us to consider. When I manage anger, and when things upset me, I take that, and I don't, I don't try to just act like the father yeah, you know what, you want, um, you, you want some more money, it does grow on trees, or yeah, you know what, if you want to stay out all night, please do, please wake me up, and on and on it goes, just sort of passively saying, whatever, I'm just, I, I don't have a response, I don't want to be angry, but I, I guess this is all I can do. But rather, your response is, God, give me the wisdom and the strength to do what needs to be done in this situation so that I can best influence what is happening in a way that's redemptive. Now the word, for, the word that Jesus uses, blessed are the meek, I think I gave, um, I think I gave Brian the, um, the, the slides, um, uh, the, a couple of quotes. Uh, one, um, perhaps I didn't, but one is the Greek word uh, that is used for meek. I won't, I won't go into it, but it basically means... Having a level of control and courage in your heart that you are now activating those things that are upsetting you in a way that the energy is now directed towards serving him and serving his purpose. And I don't know if that summarizes it well for you, but it certainly does for me. Because uh, when I see Meek, I, I think of just somebody who just, is kind of a milquetoast person. It's not a, in my mind, a, a very effective word. But it, in going back to the original language, it's just a powerful way of saying, yeah, there's a lot going on, but rather than it getting the upper hand on you, you are taking it and all the energy behind it, and you're directing it for good. And there are things in our lives that upset us. Maybe you've had a child that has had a, a, a problem that is of no fault of their own. And you've used the anger that you had about the experience that they're going through as a means of energizing your path towards helping them to find resolution or to find healing. Sometimes in being a parent, maybe something will happen at school and you'll feel upset at a teacher. And if the anger escalates, you go and you take that teacher to task. But then you realize later on, well, maybe that teacher has their own story 
about what they see. And you take that into consideration as a believer and you realize that maybe it's more complicated than I think and maybe I need to use the energy that God has given me in this equation to cooperate with all those people involved in a way that redeems uh, the need that is in front of us. And God doesn't always make it easy for us. It's easy to blow up. It's easy to call names. It's easy to vilify. It's easy to just label something or someone. It's very hard and very humbling to ask God for the wisdom and the courage to engage in conversation with people that we need to talk to about these matters and to even have the restraint and the self-control to not react when things don't necessarily go the way that we think they need to go or conversations run crossways rather than, rather than parallel. However it is, God says, I want you to take the longer road of reconciliation and redemption. If anger is present, it's probably because God has allowed it. And if God's allowed it, maybe it's a test for us to trust him even more for things that we need along the way. And somebody asked me if I was fearful about Christian going and all these bizarre places going into the furnace of the world as it turns out and honestly I'm not because I know that he's wrestled with his faith and he's come to the conclusion that he does believe in God that he does trust God and that God is a very personal and constant companion and so wherever he goes he's not alone God's with him and I just relax in that thought. It's, it's, it's a relief of a huge burden of responsibility that I think I may have to helicopter over him all over the place when in fact God's saying, I'm with him, just like I'm with you. And it's a privilege, and I, I would say in a lot of ways, it's just a blessing to have God present in, 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 in these very powerful ways. So let's just conclude here. When I, when I manage anger, I trust God for ultimate justice. Because at the end of the day, for a lot of us, it is about righting wrongs. It is about talking to that person that has done us wrong. That's been the inspiration of... Um, too many country songs. And as um, we take our thoughts and we calculate how we're going to get back, how we're going to really just make their life miserable because of what they've done. And we go into that toxic mindset that just feeds itself in all of its cancerous ways that we're so capable for, uh, of doing. And we realize it's not up to us to right the wrongs. In Romans chapter 13, Paul addresses this just very briefly. And he says, when people are 
doing things that appear to be unjust to you and you feel strongly like you need to retaliate, don't. It's really God's business. Vengeance is his. And God isn't going to say, all right, I I got your problem, Leonard. I'm going to take that person and I'm going to set him aside over here. And when the time comes, I'm just going to blast them to give them what they deserve. God doesn't really work that way. God is like, Leonard, I died for that person just like I died for you. And I've called you out of some things and I want to call them out of some things. And so my heart is going to be slow towards anger. And my kindness, hopefully, will lead them to repentance. And that is just turning their life towards me and beginning to walk in in a manner that um, brings him alongside. And that's why Paul wrote that. There are some people who harden their hearts and God says, yeah, I'll deal with that in a just way at the appropriate time. And then there are others who say, I've had a hard heart and I've had a way of life that has inflicted a lot of pain on other people. And I'm truly sorry. And God says, there does have to be justice. But the justice is this. Whatever punishment you deserve, my son has already taken. And all you have to do is trust in faith that the wrath that would come upon you as a result of the things that you've done has already been given to him. And he has responded to it as an act of love for you. And if that doesn't bring home the significance of the love of God, I don't know what what will. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God in his great mercy has been patient with each, each of us and wanting us through the course of our lifetime, to begin to understand there's another way. The way that Jesus began to describe on the Sermon on the Mount, the way that maybe you've started to discover through dealing honestly with your own anger, or with your own envy, or with your own pride, or the four other things we'll be talking about. These are just pathways at the end of the day for you to come to terms with what they mean before God who loves us more than the power that they offer. And as we conclude our cave message today, I would call those who are followers of the Lord to take on that gentleness that is already being enabled in your heart, to allow that anger to turn into something that may be the equivalent of turning swords into plowshares, and to trust God that whatever it is that is truly a wrong in your life that he's he's already waiting to deal with it in his own way a way that we don't understand because God's ways are not our ways